This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, October 27, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. The historically high price of gas has many transportation planners making a big push on behalf of a new investment in rail for commuters. Cato Institute senior fellow Randall O'Toole says even with high gas prices, those arguments just don't stand up. If you're going by my commute in the morning, the uh, historically high gas prices did in fact mean much more packed trains as people made the decision away from driving into work and in favor of taking the train. So at least from uh, my commute, that's it, it, that seems to have some uh, merit. Well, actually, it doesn't because y- your commute is on a train with very limited capacity. Uh, and, and this is a surprise is that we keep... We've often been told that train lines have the capacity of, of a 10-lane freeway or a 12-lane freeway. But the reality is that uh, even the Washington subway and certainly light rail lines have far lower capacities than highways. And so you've got a limited capacity and you've got trains that tend to be fairly full at rush hour. And uh, you add a few more people and suddenly you're really jammed. Now, when you actually look down at the numbers, it turns out driving dropped during the period of high gas prices by about 4%, and transit ridership grew by about 4%. But driving was 99 times higher than transit ridership in the first place, so that means transit ridership only made up for a tiny percentage, 1% or 2%, of the decline in driving. So the decline in driving then is is people combining trips or carpooling or other exactly things. they combined trips they they skipped un- inessential trips they uh, did carpooling they did a variety of things to uh, reduce driving uh, and transit was one of them but it was a very minor portion and the, and the fundamental problem is that transit doesn't go where people want to go when they want to get there even frequent rail transit doesn't do that and so. Uh, transit can't be a substitute for driving uh, when driving can take you to so many places uh, at any time of the day or night that you want to go. What are some of the other claims made regarding the need for uh, a large-scale investment in rail? Well, I so often hear that uh, because of the high cost of driving, families would save money if only we would build more rail transit and provide better public transit. The problem is that transit is far more expensive than, than driving, and you're not saving money. Uh, you're just making somebody else pay part of the cost of your driving, uh, or, or of your transportation, that is. Driving costs about $0.24 cents a passenger mile, and almost all of that is paid for by the user. A very small percentage is subsidized. On the other hand, transit costs about 85 cents a passenger mile, and the transit riders pay about 24 cents, and the other 61 cents is subsidized. And rail transit subsidies are much greater than subsidies to uh, bus transit, so the idea that we can save people money by building rail transit is totally fallacious. We, they're going to have to pay for it one way or the other, uh, and it'll come out of their taxes if it doesn't come out of their uh, fares. And the same thing is true with the idea that transit's going to save energy or that it's going to stop global warming or it's going to reduce air pollution. In every single case, transit, uh, and particularly rail transit, is not an energy saver. It is not a, a way of, of reducing pollution or greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, rail transit consumes enormous amounts of energy to construct, 
and many rail transit lines use more energy to operate than the average car per passenger mile. For example, Denver has a light rail system, and the average uh, light rail passenger uh, uses more energy and emits more greenhouse gases per passenger mile uh, than a typical SUV, much less a, an average automobile. So it's just out of sight how much uh, energy they use, and that's in the operation. And that doesn't even count the huge energy cost of construction. Now, if you go to Portland, uh, in the operations, they save a little bit of energy, but the energy cost of construction is so great that it may take 100 years of savings to make up for that construction cost. What are the relative arguments regarding buses? You're talking about uh, how heavily subsidized rail is. Buses are subsidized at much lower rates than, uh, than rail, but what's, what are the arguments surrounding ra uh, buses? Well, the problem with buses is that transit agencies have adopted a, a, a new policy, new in the past 40 years, which is that every single suburb deserves bus service because they're all paying taxes into the, the regional transit agency, and so they all deserve bus service. And so we have all these buses going out to suburbs where nobody's riding because everybody's got three cars in, in their driveway, and so they aren't riding the buses. So you end up with a lot of empty buses driving all over the place. And the transit agencies all bought buses that are too big for their needs, so they end up with empty 40-passenger buses getting about two miles to the gallon, and they don't uh, do very well in terms of miles, uh, or excuse me, passenger miles per gallon. Uh, and uh, if the transit agencies had focused bus service where people actually use it, which tends to be in the central cities, tends to be in the dense corridors, uh, and serve buses, uh, and maybe provide commuter bus service from the suburbs to the to the downtowns uh, that ser work just a few hours of the day and tend to fill up a lot more than than the typical uh, half hourly bus service that goes 18 hours a day. Uh, then they would have much higher ridership, and that though by filling up the buses, they would end up saving a lot of energy per passenger mile. As it is, buses don't do very well. The average 40-passenger bus in this country has 11 passengers on board at any given time. Uh, the average uh, train, light rail train, uh, which has a room for 125 people per car, has an average of 25 people on it at any given time, about one-fifth full. That tends to be uh, the way transit vehicles all across the country operate. They operate one-fifth full. Now you ride the, the metro in in the morning, it looks pretty full. Actually, if you count the number of people, it isn't, according to their numbers, anywhere near full. You have to really pack them in, and Americans won't stand being that packed in to be truly full. But uh, you count the number of passengers day in and day out, all day long, and they aren't, they aren't nearly full. They're one-fifth or one-fourth full. And that means you're pushing a lot of metal around, consuming a lot of energy uh, to run vehicles that are mostly empty. And we need to rethink how transit works. We need to redesign our transit systems. We need to redesign our, the way we pay for transit to uh, make transit uh, agencies more responsive to users rather than to taxpayers. More than about almost three-fourths of transit money comes from taxpayers. So transit agencies are not responsive to users. They're more interested in, in uh, pleasing the taxpayers by providing them a bus service that people won't ride than they are in, in providing buses where actually people do ride. Randall O'Toole is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. You can read more of his work at our website, cato.org.